Let us pray. Father, uh, let us be, uh, for the last few minutes, we've been on a journey toward you and into your heart. And we end praying, uh, draw me deeper and deeper into you. Pray, Lord, you would uh, lock us into that prayer. And that as we study your word now, we will be drawn. We will be drawn toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, please have a seat. Good morning, everyone. Well, the, the worship team's done a wonderful job. Thank you, Chris. Done a wonderful job of bringing us into the presence of God. And I don't want to interrupt that. I'd just like to flow right where the stream has already taken us. So several years ago, I was in the kitchen at my in-laws, and I heard a conversation between my daughter and my wife's mother. We call her Nani. And they were talking about school, and evidently had come up at its school, like, what religion are you? So my daughter had said, well, she's Christian. So then the question starts, well, how Christian are you? And my daughter said, she told the kids, well, I'm a pastor's daughter. Well, see, that's what Nani did too. Nani laughed and said, well, what's that got to do with anything? See, after 50 years of following Jesus or more, Nani knows You can start out at the foot of the cross, grow up in the church. You can be a pastor's daughter. That tells you next to nothing about how it's going to go over the course of your life. It's what you do after that that makes a difference. So we have uh, all kinds here. Uh, here in our Lakeland community. Uh, Some of you, that's pretty much your story. You were born in the church. You started out as a church kid. You were a church teenager. Now you're a church adult. Here you are. And that's pretty much your story. God bless you. Um, Some of you have a story where you started out, you were in church, and then you wandered, right? You doubted. Uh, Maybe somebody had a hard question about God. You had a hard question no one could answer. You got distracted. Um... And you wandered. But then somewhere out there, things turned bad. And you know, because you'd been there, how to get back home again. And that's your story. And that's you. Uh, Others of you were driven from the church. You were driven from the church by a bad experience. Uh, You were driven from the church by a tragedy that... uh, no cheap answer would explain. Uh, You may have driven yourself from the church because you thought of something you'd like to do. And you knew you couldn't do that close to Jesus, so out you went and you did it. And then it didn't go well. And so, because you knew where home was, you have found your way back. Here you are. That's some of your story. Some of the stories are just that you drifted. You were born in the church, but I don't know, you're just not the type that thinks about stuff all the time, and so you just kind of got a little wandering, and one day you woke up and went, whoa, I can't see the shore from here anymore. How did I get out here? Here's a story about drifting from from Tony Evans. The story is told of a little boy who was floating his boat on a pond when the boat drifted away. A man came by, saw the boat drifting out on the pond, and began throwing stones on the far side of the boat. The boy asked, what are you doing? But then something very interesting happened. As the stones hit the water beyond the boat, they created ripples which pushed the boat back toward the boy. Even though the stones disturbed the smooth water, they achieved the desired result. That's how it is with God sometimes. When we drift away from him, he throws the disturbing stones out beyond us in order to push us back to his shore of love. A little haunted by that story because I did that for a kid once. So I was kind of like, when was that written? Anyways, uh, but that's what happened to some of you. 
You drifted, but then God threw disturbing stones out ahead of you. You probably didn't like it at the time, probably scared you to death. But each ripple it created drove you closer and closer. And here you are, back in the family of God. So that's a whole bunch of your stories. Now, there's also quite a few of you who have a different story. Yours is a story of uh, starting far from God. You didn't grow up around this stuff. You weren't any pastor's daughter or anything of the sort. But you caught a glimpse. I hear this story often. My grandparents would bring me to church a couple times a year. I hear that story a lot. Your grandparents brought you to church a couple times a year, so you caught a little glimpse. Well, then, you know, you have to go back home or wherever it was you were. And so you're back out here. But then it's not good out there. And you start to think, you know, I remember stories of peace that surpass understanding. I remember stories of hope. I remember stories of unconditional love. I remember hearing those stories when I went to church with my grandparents or whoever it was that was taking you. And so you get back to wherever it was they take you. And from there, you can see enough again to bring you on into the foot of the cross. That's some of your stories. Some of your stories are of coming in, getting a glimpse and being like, uh-uh, no way, that's weird. <laughs> but then somewhere out there, you kind of got curious, like, well, you know what? Out here is pretty darn weird too. <laughs> Maybe this wasn't as weird as I thought. But because of that glimpse, thank God for folks who'll take us when we're kids. You know, we we know there's a family there. Others of you have a story of you started out here and you've kind of stayed out here. You know, I'm not sure how you got here. You may not be sure either why you're here hearing this story this morning. But it's been your story because there was really never anyone to tell you the story of Jesus, to show you the love of the cross or to demonstrate any of this for you. So you just kind of started far and you're out far. And by some miracle, here you are to hear, see your story up there. So our scripture is this morning. We are studying the uh, crucifixion of Jesus. My goal was to study the crucifixion of Jesus from the time he is put on the cross until he's buried in the tomb, every single verse until Easter. Well, I got to these three verses, and I didn't think I could make anything out of it, like that would make a whole sermon. So I read it on a Monday, it's a while back, I read it on a Tuesday, I read it on a Wednesday. I was like, I'm going to have to skip these three verses. Maybe you've read them before and read right over them too. But then on Thursday, the Lord showed up. So here's what we're doing with it. See, Jesus has just died on the cross. That was last week. There was an earthquake, all sorts of strange events. Um, But now all has fallen quiet again. And here's what the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, 54 says, happened next. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the Son of God. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So we kind of have like four groups of characters haunting this passage. Two of them are in it. Uh, Three of them are in it. One of them isn't. So Jesus, of course, murdered by the authorities hanging on the cross. He has passed now. Then we have, absent from the story, but present in how we got here, the priests. These priests, they had uh, studied the scriptures They had studied the coming of the Messiah and they had taken one look at Jesus and decided that's not the Messiah. They colluded with the authorities to get him put on the cross and they have walked away. They're gone. 
have the Roman soldiers. Let me see if I can get a Roman soldier on here with his little helmet. Not so bad. All right. Roman soldiers standing at the foot of the cross. Now, these guys are pagans. These guys are foreigners. They didn't grow up around any of this. They're not even from this country. Okay, they wouldn't know Moses in the ark from Jonah walking on water. And they, only some of you got that. Um, They're just carrying out a death sentence against some leader of a local rebel group who's made the claim to be the son of God. But they're used to that sort of thing too because their emperor back home in Rome also claims to be the son of God. But after seeing the darkness and the earthquake, they wind up saying, this man truly was the son of God. Interesting. Finally, we have the women. It names them, two of them at least. Says a third was there. Says they're watching at a distance. So they're not hovering right up here by the cross, probably too dangerous. But they've not gone far enough away that they can't still see what's going on. Several of them, a couple of them, are the mothers of disciples. See, their sons have run away. We find out later they're still hanging out in Jerusalem, so they didn't run too far, but they're not staying anywhere near the cross. This is all pretty shocking. But what else can these women do? They've pretty much just followed Jesus for the last three years and stayed close to him, and so they just kind of keep doing that. It's all they've been doing for a long time, so they just keep doing that. Now, this is all very ironic. So you have the male disciples who spent the last several years right at the feet of Jesus. And when it goes bad, they run off and hide in the house. You have the female disciples of Jesus who have stayed close to him since Galilee and pretty much stayed close to him. You have the priests who have been studying the coming of the Messiah all of their life for generations and have decided Jesus is not the Messiah and they are out of there. But then you have the Roman soldiers who who grew up who knows where. They don't know anything about any of this. They're just here at the foot of the cross to do a job and they're the ones that wind up saying, truly this man is the son of God. Something especially interesting about these Roman soldiers, isn't it? I mean, somehow you know it was them especially that in a different gospel, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, also interesting and ironic is these Jewish priests hate these Roman soldiers. Oh, aren't they buddies? They, they pulled off the crucifixion together. No, these guys used these guys because they didn't have the authority to do this. In their worldview, God is going to come back and destroy these guys. That's what they're really hoping for. In their worldview, God is going to destroy these guys. In their worldview, uh, they are already in the kingdom of God because they've been raised on this stuff. They're the descendants of the prophets. And yet somehow from the story, can't you tell that pedigree is not going to do a thing for them? Somewhere there's a Pharisee's nanny laughing saying, what's that have to do with it? The Roman soldiers sound almost sorry for what they've done. You just can't judge where your spiritual journey may take you and what shape it may take. And you can't, uh, where you came from, where you came from in this spiritual journey matters a lot less than you may think. 
You certainly can't look at someone and judge from their past what their spiritual journey is. Here's a story about spiritual journeys from a preacher, Neil Parker. He says, I only have two uh, rules to guide which weddings I will do and which I will turn down. I need to be able to meet with the bride and groom first, and I don't do weddings in unusual places like parachuting or underwater. But I broke both of those rules once, and it was the most meaningful wedding I ever celebrated. I agreed to do this wedding on two days' notice when the minister who was to officiate was unavailable due to a family emergency. I had the details of the location well out of town on a farm. I knew the names of the bride and groom, and I knew they'd done premarital sessions with the other minister. I also knew something about their wedding guest and the particular setting they'd chosen to celebrate their union. 140 bikers had come up to spend the weekend, and the wedding was to be an added bonus, a surprise to all but a handful of guests. I confessed to considerable misgivings as I turned off the highway onto the property and caught my first glimpse of the venue. Dozens of motorcycles filled the parking lot. Most were Harleys, the choice of serious bikers. Very loud music filled the air from a tent and refreshment area in the center field. Tents dotted the landscape. It looked like a heavy metal woodstock. Mine was the only Jetta in sight. I parked it and headed up to the house. At least to my relief, things seemed to be in order there. I was introduced to the bride's parents and the groom's parents while the bride was getting dressed. It didn't take long. Jeans and a black t-shirt need little more than a few flowers in the hair. The groom was introduced to me as Bear. It wasn't hard to know where the nickname came from. Bear outweighed me at least two to one. His beard was thick and bushy and his arms were heavily tattooed. Bear didn't say much. Once we checked to see the license was in order and everything was ready, I headed down to the big tent. I don't push my way through crowds very well, meek and mild sort that I am, but I managed to get to the front, ask for a microphone, waited for the music to go silent, introduced myself and announced, I was here for a wedding. I wasn't quite sure what the reaction was going to be. Several of the bikers immediately headed to the parking lot. The air was filled with the throb of powerful engines revving. Then, with almost military precision, the bikers streamed out of the parking lot and straight toward the center field, headed directly towards me. A few feet away, they turned off to form a double row facing each other, an honor guard to create an aisle for the bride. With engines at full throttle, their roar echoed across the valley. As the bride walked slowly and gracefully down the aisle, each biker she passed switched off its engine. As she passed the last pair, all engines were stilled. You could have heard a pin drop. She walked shyly up to Bear. His eyes were overflowing with tears. Then the birds started to sing. All around the host couple were the congregation of their friends. Members and families of the sober riders, each one a recovering alcoholic, each one a biker, each one bowed in prayer as we entered a holy moment. The bride had given me only one instruction for the service. Make sure you have a sermon, she said. These people want to hear a word from God, her people, and for an afternoon, my people. I stood in the middle of the field in a congregation of t-shirts, jeans, and tattoos. 
in front of a groom and bride who knew exactly what they were doing and why. In a cathedral of fence posts and Harleys. And we gave thanks to God together. Here at Lakeland, we have all types. Raised in church, still in church. Welcome. Raised in church, wandered into some interesting places. But you found your way here. Raised far from the church, but interested, if not a little excited. Raised far from the church and terrified. But you're here. When God looks at us, I wonder what he sees. I think God sees red, as in this red cellophane, which when you put it up here, you can't see where you've been and where you've come from. You can just see where you are. Close or far. Moving closer or getting farther. Not all the wandering in the places it's taken you, but where you are today. Near or far. And the skeptics among us say, oh, come on. Look at all this red line in these tracks. Let's be honest. A lot of these are just sin. Just plain sin. You're telling me when God looks at that, he doesn't see all of that? Here's a story about what God sees. From Gigi Chichvijan. I need a vowel in this name. I, I don't know who wrote this. <laughs> Have you ever felt the need for forgiveness or perhaps the need to forgive? I meet so many people who are paralyzed in their present circumstance because they're chained to something in their past. They are either unable to forgive or to accept the fact that they are truly forgiven. I once heard a legend of a priest in a small Midwestern parish who as a young man had committed what he felt was a terrible sin. Although he had asked God's forgiveness all his life, he carried around the burden of this sin. He just could not be sure that God had really forgiven him. One day he was told of an elderly woman in his congregation who sometimes had visions. During these visions, he had heard she would often have conversations with the Lord. After a while, the priest finally got up enough courage to visit the woman. She invited him in and offered him a cup of tea. Toward the end of the visit, he set the cup down on the table and looked into the old woman's eyes. Is it true that you sometimes have visions, he asked her. Yes, she replied. Is it also true that during these visions, you often speak with the Lord? Yes, she said again. Well, the next time you have a vision and you speak with the Lord, would you ask him a question for me? The woman looked at the priest a little curiously. She had never been asked this before. Yes, I I would be happy to, she answered. What do you want me to ask him? Well, the priest began, would you please ask him what sin it was that your priest committed as a young man? The woman, quite curious now, readily agreed. A few weeks passed and the priest again went to visit this woman after another cup of tea. He cautiously, timidly asked, Have you had any visions lately? 
Why, yes, I have, replied the woman. Did you speak with the Lord? Yes. Did you ask him what sin I committed as a young man? Yes, the woman replied, I did. The priest, nervous and afraid, hesitated a moment and then asked, Well, what did the Lord say? The woman looked up into the face of her priest and replied gently, The Lord told me he could not remember. God not only forgives our sins, he also chooses to forget them. The Bible tells us he takes them and buries them in the deepest sea and then puts up a sign that says, No fishing allowed. And I think it is the Red Sea this morning. The sea that casts the past into a sea of forgetfulness and asks, where are you? Now that's the gospel. The gospel means good news. That's good news, everyone. If you're moving toward Jesus, you're moving in the right direction. You might be way out there. You might be right here at the foot of it. But what did we sing at the end of the song? Lord, draw me deeper and deeper into you. And if you're praying that prayer, you're moving the right way and you have nothing to fear. It is his will that you come closer. Keep coming closer. Keep coming closer. Easter is just two weeks away. You will find your way to him. Let us stand together. Let us turn and face our cross. Give you a moment of silence. And then a song to continue in your prayer. In the moment of silence, just ask the Lord this. Lord, am I near or far? Am I moving farther or nearer? And I pray in this moment the Lord will reveal to you the way to move nearer. When the band begins to play, I invite you just to turn and have a seat, but continue in the prayer because the song they're playing is meant to continue this hearing from God, where you are and how he wants to bring you closer. I'll leave you with the Lord. On the night before all of this happened, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Come closer. He took a cup. He said, this cup is my blood. It will be poured out. But for the forgiveness of sin and the forgetfulness, come closer. So we literally come closer and we tear off a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. And we receive all of this, this offer of God, to come closer. Let us stand together and pray the prayer that Christ Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we'll come down these center aisles.
can receive it if you like. If you want to stop at the cross, there's a place to kneel and pray there. If you want to feel like just have one more thing to hear from the Lord, one more thing you want to say to the Lord, you can do that. Really nothing wrong you can do here. Um, let us go back to the foundation and proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. Come closer when you're ready. Amen? Let us stand together as we go out from this place. Uh, the last song said, Lord, you hem me in. You hem me in before and behind, it said. Like, like he sews a little hem around us, like we're inside his warm coat. So yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, and St. Patrick actually wrote this benediction. It's part of a much longer poem, and it's the same thing. Christ before me, Christ behind me. Hem me in, be all around me. That's what we need to go on this journey and move closer to him. So let us recite this prayer together. Christ as a light, illumine and guide me. Christ as a shield, overshadow me. Christ under me, Christ over me. Christ beside me, on my left and my right. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Be in the heart of each to whom I speak, in the mouth of each who speaks unto me. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Christ as a light, Christ as a shield, Christ beside me on my left and my right. Surrounded by his presence, go forth on your journey. Amen.